I was brought to tears as I listened to the statements. There simply aren't the right words to express our sympathy. Our campus and beyond has been attacked by evil. An individual who broke trust and so much more. Any accusations of my handling of any complaints of sexual assault individually are completely false. Every incident reported in that article was documented by either police or the Michigan State Title IX office. We will cooperate with any investigation going forward as we have always done. I'm not going anywhere I, I, in my mind. Um, I'm definitely not retiring. It's time for Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400, WDWS Champaign-Urbana. We'll get you caught up on your Illini sports news along with other area national sports news. Here are Lauren Tate and Michael Kaiser. Good Saturday morning. Thanks for joining us. 47 degrees at 901. That sound courtesy of the Big Ten Network. A very busy day up in East Lansing yesterday. And they also played a basketball game last night, which is kind of pales in comparison to what's been going on. That was Mark Hollis, Mark D'Antonio, and Tom Izzo, uh, the speakers there. That's uh, more to say, but not a whole lot of, of substance in them. But uh, I, I was hey, surprised. Let me ask you a question. Sure. A hundred and what was the ultimate number? One hundred and seventy. So oh, the speakers at Larry Nasser's trial. And, you mean and something how like many that. complaints were made to Emmert at, at the NCA office in two thousand ten? I mean, how can this suddenly be such a big thing and was nothing for all these years leading mm-hmm. into it? When it was when there when there were reports of the same thing. Yeah, the thing was like there's two different issues that's been going on at Michigan State for some time. There was the Larry Nasser thing that's been going on for twenty years and almost twenty years before he was uh, finally you know fired. But there was also the sexual assaults with athletes, and that there's a lot of those, especially in football. There was a couple in basketball with Adrian Payne and Keith Appling and Travis Walton, who was a uh, not no longer a player at the time. And so there's two competing things that are really bad going on at Michigan State right now that are being looked at by a wide variety of people. But the but the basketball players, that went to to uh, into to legal uh, consideration. Yeah. I mean. Th- what I'm getting at is that all these other cases were reported and nothing has been done over year after year mm-hmm. after year. And all of a sudden, now it's an avalanche. Yeah. And it's a, the, like, it was like, I think it was a, about 170 that spoke at Larry Nasser's trial. And that was just from like gymnasts that he dealt with. And the fact that that many were able to come forward and speak was, was, was pretty incredible. Um, but there's the number of things that are coming out. You mentioned the Mark Emmert from the NCAA in like 2010 when 37 he was he was made aware of 37 different sexual assaults at Michigan State. Right. And um, the public doesn't know about a lot of those. Those are those were kind of swept under the rug a little bit. And um, Mark, you heard Mark D'Antonio. He was pretty fiery yesterday uh, last night before the Michigan State basketball game. Well, if game. he turned over, I mean, uh, what can he do other than to report if it if, sure. if he knows about it and. And and he it's just not his job to resolve it. It's it's a, no, it's not up to the, to, the, to the police or or the you know the the people at Michigan State. That's all a coach can do is report it. The one thing that uh, he was catching flack for yesterday was back in June. He said that the incidents that happened this past January and this before the 2017 season, he said in June these are the first time that this is all new to us at the football program when that actually is not true and the national media picked up on that yesterday and said wait a minute there's been like 16 different cases of these with un- uh, since you've been head- the head coach there and i think that's what he's catching flack for 
at the, right now. I mean, the, the outside lines report by ESPN yesterday. I don't know if you got a chance to read that. It was very, very long, but very worth your time to read. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just you know, I, I read it in phases yesterday. It was so long, but I read the entire thing, and I was I walked away from that going, oh boy. There's a lot of problems at Michigan State, and that's what led to Mark Hollis stepping down. The president resigned earlier this week, and I don't know what's next. I, I mean, I, I well, have no, no idea. And when I'm not, I'm going to guess either. It just it's something we're going to continue to watch and as it unfolds. Um, but it's well to see. What, so again, Michigan State did play a basketball game last night. They didn't won, but Tom Izzo was pretty reserved in the game yesterday. Didn't have didn't have a lot to say. Uh, the USM Gymnastics uh, entire board of directors will resign, which was the USOC said, uh, you better do that or they're going to threaten to remove them as uh, decertify them as a gymnastics organization. That happened last night where they announced that they will resign at some point, not right away. Uh, so there's a lot of, lot of fallout from this. Uh, and it's just not a, you know, had the situation Baylor with Art Bryles and, of course, Penn State with Jerry Sandusky. It's and like the old atomic bomb. It hits and then it just spreads <laughs> and keeps spreading and keeps spreading, and it'll take everybody in, in authority with it. Yeah, and, and do you think uh, that D'Antonio and Izzo both survive this? Well, I definitely think Izzo will survive it. I, I think I, so as well. I, I agree I, with you there. I, I, I think he will because he's so respected and so uh, has always been respected, let's put mm-hmm. it that way, at least in the past. And um, I, I, don't, you know, I don't know why. I, I, you're asking me what, what does a coach, what can a coach do when, when some of his players, who are, have their own lives, uh, do things that they should be ashamed of. When well, there's I mean, a, a coach can't can't. I mean, if uh, he didn't try to conceal anything, did he? I have not read that. Not not too much. Although I did read yesterday with D'Antonio that when he was made aware of a sexual assault several years ago, all he had the player do, again, he I don't know how much the university knew, and, and the university probably was already taking care of the Title IX investigation. He said, go talk to your mom, to the player. And so I... At, well, you're, you're, when you make that statement, you're assuming that's all he said. Well, no, that's what that's why I read. Did, did that he, he turn it over to... to well, I th- he said yesterday he was made aware of all the cases by the authorities. I don't think he initially knew of them until he was told by the authorities. Well, then that, so, it's out of his hands. If it's, in the, it's, it's the responsibility of the authorities, I mean, I suppose he can play players until they've been proven to have been involved. I mean, you just can't take everything... Sure. Uh, there's no assurance that everything you hear is is accurate. I th- I think the key difference here will be, I'm going to compare Baylor and Michigan State for a moment because of sexual assaults, is there was a l- allegations of cover-up with Art Bryles and his staff. Yes. I, I don't think there's been a whole lot of that yet. Tom Izzo especially, I don't think there's been a lot of cover-up, but I think some w- there's allegations within the athletic department that these issues at Michigan State were covered up, not specifically by Tom Izzo, but it, like they had people that weren't qualified to do some of these investigations. That's what the outside li- the lines report was alleging yesterday. There were people that weren't even qualified to do some of these investigations, and they had people like with Larry Nasser. They had people like four people that were connected to Larry who, like Larry, was looking into the matter against Larry. And so you know ESPN's like that. You can't do that. And so that we're gonna see how this all falls out. I mean, again, I just it's just. A lot of moving parts with this with this situation up in East Lansing. So we'll have to see. And then, you know, in, in other news yesterday, UConn, the basketball program is being investigated by mm-hmm. the NCAA. Yeah. Um, so n- not a really good day yesterday 
uh, from that standpoint. And just, well, it, again, we'll continue to watch that. Uh, we're going to preview the show today. Coming up, uh, Rob Smith, a new Illini offensive coordinator, was officially introduced yesterday. Of course, spoke to the media last weekend via teleconference. Got in town a few days later. I think he said he's been in town since Monday. He'll join us at 9.15. Then at 9.30, Ryan Easterling of IlliniInquire.com will join us. Uh, give us his thoughts on the departure of Mike Fair, defensive line coach, going to the NFL with the Colts. And then also Nate Shieldhouse, who was not an on-field assistant and could not recruit, uh, left to go to Iowa State, the Cyclones, uh, now with uh, Matt Campbell, the coach there. So we'll get Ryan Easterling's thoughts on the – you know, the impact on recruiting uh, with losing Mike Fair and, and the coaching on the defensive line. Then 10 o'clock, Jeff Rabjohns uh, covers the Indiana Hoosiers, get his thoughts on Indiana, Archie Miller, and Purdue, who Warren, I think, is the, the best team in the, in the Big Ten team. Now, Michigan State, I think, has the most talent. The Miles Bridges, and we keep going, Jackson and those guys. But I think Purdue, I watched a little bit of that game the other night, and, they, and Michigan played well. Uh, but, I, I, man, Purdue is really good, and they could score. Yeah, well, we'll see. Who do you think will be the best from here on out, Purdue or Michigan State? Are we talking the regular season or the tournament? Well, I you know just from here on out. I, mean, I think Purdue. Purdue? Uh, right now, Purdue is my pick to win the Big Ten conference. Well, uh, they got a two game lead. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not saying I'm saying that because I just think Michigan State again has the most talent, which in the end could win out. But Purdue is. Man, they're looking really. They've won 16 His, games in a row. Historically, Michigan State finishes strong. Yeah, they do. And mm -hmm. historically, Purdue tends to not finish as strong, mm -hmm. even though they look really good. I don't know. I mean, how can you talk hysteric? I mean, how, I guess you can say that because the coaches have been there a long time. Yeah, and exactly. Whatever they're doing, uh, Izzo, you know, will be awfully dangerous at tournament time. Yeah, definitely. He's had his rough ones, too, though. Yeah, and they Two lost. Two years ago, they they lost to who? Mm -hmm. Middle Tennessee or somebody. In the first round, and they were the number two seed, and, just, and they looked really, really good and thought maybe they were a Final Four contender. They didn't make it out of the first game. Yep. And then at 10.30, Tim Evans of the Indy Star will dive back into the Larry Nasser situation. He and a couple of his colleagues were part of the, you know, the Indy Star with the investigative report that they did. Uh, really got this thing going with Larry Nasser, especially at a national basis. And the Indy Star was referenced by the prosecutor, the attorney general, at the, at the sentencing of Larry Nasser the other day and how they got this started along with another gymnast. Uh, without those two things happening, you know, I, they were saying that Larry Nasser might still be treating people, still be treating gymnasts. And so we'll I'll talk to Tim Evans. It's uh, be good to get his thoughts on kind of how that all got started. Like, how did they even get involved in something like this? Uh, I believe they even talked to Larry Nasser a while back as well. So you give us your thoughts this morning. 356-9397 is the phone number. You can also text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line. Uh, 351-5357. Listen live at WDWS.com. Also email us, talk at WDWS.com. And as always, podcast of this show and others are on our website and on iTunes. We're going to take a timeout. We'll come back. Rod Smith, the new offensive coordinator for the Illini football team. Um, he's... Got a quarterback shortage here. <laughs> That's an understatement. He referenced that yesterday, Laura, and uh, he's very aware that uh, they need bodies. Four games of experience on this roster right now, one scholarship QB. Yeah, the, the rumor is that he, they've made a couple of offers uh, to mm -hmm. maybe fifth-year guys, and, and uh, certainly they're going to try to bring in another, at least one, if not two more quarterbacks. Yeah, and, and the But they got Rivers coming from Texas, which gives them two yeah, right he now. He can't come to the summer. Uh, Karan Taylor will find out in about a week and a half. If he's going to sign or not, uh, he doesn't have to sign on that particular day, but that's February 7th is the signing day, second part of the signing period, and we'll find out if his academics have been uh, 
corrected and put in place so he can come here to, to the University of Illinois. Stay with us. Rod Smith, Illini Offensive Coordinator, is up next here on Saturday Sports Talk on DWS. I think most of you will agree, and of course most of our fans will agree, we need to score more points. It's as simple as that. And when I started looking you know, for our new coordinator, um, I, I did. I look at stats to see who was really doing what, who had success this past year. And uh, the most important stat, I think, as you talk offensive football, is scoring. And, uh, and Rod, uh, Rod Smith's group, you know, at the University of Arizona, uh, did a great job with that, top five scoring. When Coach called me the first time, I was – I didn't want to answer the phone because it was Lovey Smith. You know, I was – you know, I, I, listen – I grew up, I, I watched him coaching the Super Bowl. I watched him for all those times. So, you know, I was honored to just take the phone call. And then when he wanted to come in and, and, and interview, you know, um, that's one of the moments you go back and you tell your kids, hey, I, I got a chance to interview with Lovey Smith, you know what I mean? And then he offered me the job, for God's sakes. You know, can you believe that? So um, I was excited. I was thrilled. Um, very, very humbled, very honored. And um, I, I think his vision, I think his – his perspective as a man and what he wants to do with, with these guys as far as how to raise them up, how to coach them up, I just, I'm in tune with that 100%. And I couldn't be more excited. Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. 47 degrees at 916. That's Illini head coach Lovey Smith talking about Rod Smith and then Rod talking about getting the phone call from Lovey. He joins us now on the program. Coach Smith, good morning. How are you? Doing very well. Good morning to you guys as well. Yeah, I don't know. I probably would have reacted the same way if a Lovey Smith ever called me. Most likely he won't, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> except for this show. But uh, did, did you even have any contact with Lovey just uh, around the game the last couple of years at all at conventions or anything at all? Uh, no, I have not. I mean, that was actually, like I said, that was the first time that I've actually had a chance to talk with Coach. Uh, so no, I can't say that I have. Did it come up as Lovey Smith on your caller ID or? <laughs> no, because I didn't have him on my phone. <laughs> it just came up as an Illinois number, and I, you know, I, I kind of got a tip that he may be calling. Uh, you know, several minutes before the phone call. So uh, you know, when I saw the Illinois phone call come in, I just figured that that that, that must be him. Well, as you as you talked yesterday, uh, you just one of the things you mentioned there was a you, you, there's, a, there's a lot of young players on this team, but you're excited about that and the experience they got last year. And the, from the offensive side of things, you got a young offensive line, a young running back, and Mike Epstein who was playing really well last year before he got hurt. As you look at that and how much experience those guys got uh, last season, how does that help them moving forward in their sophomore more season? Well, they've been through some ups and downs, obviously, yeah. and uh, you know you're hoping that all that playing time and, and experience that they got uh, will, will come to fruition a little bit, will help them as we move forward. Uh, they will be a year stronger, a year more mature, and uh, you know now it's just a matter of continuing to put the work in, trying to elevate your level of play, and uh, you know we're going to learn a new system, but uh, at the same time, we're going to try to make it simple enough that we can accelerate their learning, hopefully we can kind of continue to build on what they've been building on, and uh, continue to move forward. Rod, this is Lauren, and I did ask you about this yesterday. I'd like a, a, an explanation for the fans who are interested in your relationship with Rich Rodriguez. All those years you played for him, you were quarterback coach for him, you were a coordinator for him, and how did the play calling work with the two of you over the years? How did that evolve? Oh, yes, sir. I mean, 
I have a, a lot of my career is is credited to Rich Rodriguez. I mean, I played for Coach. Uh, he's the one that broke me into the Division One ranks. Uh, so a lot of credit to him as far as my development going through and learned a lot of football and I learned how to how to watch him how to run programs and do certain things and you know it's a lot of credit to him from a play calling standpoint you know we had myself and Calvin McGee were co-offensive coordinators at Arizona and uh, of course with coach Rodriguez being an offensive guy he definitely was one to be involved Um, so it was a different dynamic Uh, the three-headed type monster we all had our roles Um, you know a lot of times you know, Calvin would be very good with anything that I saw off uh, 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 through the air, through the passing game that I liked. Boy, you know, I could call it. He would go ahead and rattle it down and, and, and run the play. Um, even run games or some certain things with run games, particularly with a quarterback run game or any of that type of stuff. You know, we were all very good with bouncing ideas off each other. So um, we all three had roles. And, uh, you know, with us being around each other so long, we knew what each other was thinking. So it was it was a different dynamic, but we made it work. And it was very fun, very unique experience, and, you know, one that I'll take me forever. Now, you've only got one uh, scholarship quarterback on campus for spring practice. There's no chance that there will be another before spring, right? I mean, it's too late now to get anybody in school? Yeah, I, I don't think that will happen because classes have already began. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so, we're, we're you know, we're at where we're at. We just got to continue to try to – you know, add depth to that position, bring in more competition, and uh, so we'll probably do that as as the summertime and the fall kicks around. Well, how careful do you have to be in spring balls? You just don't throw Cam Thomas's arm off because you well, know. <laughs> yeah, we got some other guys. You know, we got some other guys that's going to get reps. You know, right. uh, so you, you know, we have one scholarship quarterback. <clears throat> excuse me, we have one scholarship quarterback, not just one quarterback total. So, you know, there's other guys that they'll be able to take reps. It's going to be able to compete, and uh, you know. By no means, no jobs are won. Any jobs won in the spring, but uh, at the same time, you know, we want guys to be able to go out and, and compete and battle, and, and we'll give everybody the opportunity to, to see what they can do. How how involved will you be with the other positions as a offensive coordinator? I mean, you've got Luke Butkus is handling the the line, but I know that uh, you know often coordinators get very involved with the other uh, more than just the quarterback. Sure. Well. You know, right? I, I, yeah, my responsibility is to oversee the offense, so I'm, I'm going to oversee everything. Um, you know, but my job one right now is to make sure we develop a quarterback that we can that we can uh, think we can win with. And those guys are good coaches. You know, Coach Smith trusts them to put them in place to work for him. So, you know, I'm going to trust them as well to to, to be able to coach their position and, and, and do what what is asked as far as offensively. So I'm not going to micromanage anybody. That's not my style. Uh, I'm going to go in, coach the quarterbacks, and, and, and run the offense, and, and I'll oversee it. And there are certain things that, 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 that we need to, to change or that we need to tweak, per se, that we'll do. But at the same time, those guys are, are tremendous coaches, and we'll give them flexibility allow them to, to do their jobs, and, uh, and uh, hopefully we'll do what's best for our team. Illini Offensive Coordinator Rod Smith joining us on Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Lauren Tate, Michael Kaiser with you. Arizona averaged 41.3 points a game last year, fifth nationally. Coach, Illinois didn't score 26 points in a game last year, let alone average anywhere near that amount. Uh, what kind of breakdown uh, for our listeners, what the offense, uh, what you envision? You talked about it yesterday, spreading, spreading things out and uh, using every inch of the field. 
you know, you you always evaluate the type of kids that you have on your roster before you put any plan of action to, uh, going forward. But at the same time, you know, my, the base philosophy has always been the same. We're gonna we're gonna use multiple formations. We're gonna spread the spread the defense out and try to make them defend fifty three and a third across the field, and and make them defend vertically as well with what we do from a schematic standpoint. So, you know, I always believe that the toughest thing in football is to tackle a very fast kid or a skilled kid in open space, in open field. So we're going to try to get guys out in space, try to isolate some people and see if we can get some guys on this roster to make some plays. I mentioned the the young offensive line, but uh, you got some uh, big guys and uh, Virtus Brown coming in next year. Larry Boyd already has a season uh, under him here. Um, what what do you see? I know you probably haven't had a chance to watch any film yet or anything like that, or maybe you have. But uh, what do you see from that offensive line, and what what's your vision uh, for them? Sure, you know I, I've peaked a little bit just to kind of see what we have. Um, you know, I'm, I, I, and I'm excited for Coach Buckus because I know that you know he's. He's went through the growing pains of, of, of playing such young guys, and, and that's going to pay off. Um, you know, so moving forward, those guys will be stronger, bigger, uh, faster, hopefully, and you know, more technique sound. So as we move forward, I, I'm excited because I see some potential in some of those guys. And, you know, there's some big, good-looking, long, long-rangey fellows. So it'll be interesting to see, obviously, moving forward in the spring. But uh, you know, I'm excited, eager to, to work with them and, and see how Coach Buckus can develop that that group. The, the running game, Lovey Smith talked about yesterday. Uh, obviously, you heard him. That was the, he. That's a big focus for him. And um, Mike Epstein, I, I touched on him. Have you got to watch any film on him? And, and he's from down in Florida. And, and have you got to see any of his film for the first few games he played before he got hurt? Yeah, a little bit. Like I said, I, I, you know, my, my film's been limited because I've had so much other stuff that I've had to do. Uh, but at the same time, I have I have glimpsed a couple times just to check out personnel to see what we what we played with last year what type of skill sets they have a little bit. Um, yeah, Mike's a guy that, that looks like he can help us. He can help this football team. We've got to you know, make sure he's healthy and, and he's good to go and all that type of things. But, yeah, he definitely looks like somebody that can that can help our offense. Do you know if he's going to be uh, healthy enough to play this spring or have you not gotten that far yet? I haven't gotten that far yet. Not sure. Okay. Alani, uh, offensive coordinator, just uh, hired a little over a week ago, joining us on Saturday Sports Talk for a couple more minutes. Uh, one, you were asked yesterday about recruiting the, the West Coast. Uh, I know Illinois has some California kids. Hardy Nickerson, uh, defensive coordinators from out there, so that helps as well. Do you, you spend a lot of time out there. How much? How difficult do you think it would be to bring players um, that far? Because there's so many of them. Is, do you think it would be hard to bring uh, enough talented players from way over the, on the West Coast here to, to Illinois? Oh, no, I don't think it would be. Uh, I mean, just because of what you said, there's so many, there's so much population out there. There's so many kids to draw from. Uh, they all can't go to the home school, and, and, and there's so many good players. So they're they're, they're kind of like Florida, you know. They, they will travel. They'll travel for an opportunity, um, you know. And when you talk to them about University of Illinois, and you're like, wow, you know, look at the academic prestige that we have. You're in the Big Ten. Um, you know, all those things we can sell. And I just think it's a very attractive uh, situation for guys out, whether it be out west, down south. I mean, to me, we're geographically, we're kind of stuck in the middle of all of it. And that, to me, that, that's, uh, that's very attractive for a young man. Rod, uh, I think we had six ba- uh, players here for the basketball game, f- football prospects, and I, I assume that you have more today. What's, what's the rest of your day consist of? 
Well, we're on, we got an official visit today. The kids, some of the kids came in last night, and uh, you know, so we get more of them coming in today. Some guys had ball games, basketball games, and things like that. But they arrived today, so we'll have a full day's schedule of events, of uh, you know, meetings with administration, with uh, you know, the school, the head of the schools, that uh, the, uh, the degrees that they're, that they're interested in, you know, meetings with the coaches, staff, positions. All those things, and uh, then they'll get to hang out with the players and, the, and, the, and whatnot this evening. So it's a full day, full schedule of events for them, and uh, just trying to show them everything there is about Illinois. Well, Coach, uh, final thing for you, uh, I'm sure your family's anxious to, for you guys all to get back together, but uh, what what they tell what they say when you said uh, we're moving from Arizona uh, to the frozen tundra of Illinois? You've been, you've been here before. I know you've been here before, but, I mean, so what do they say when you're going to leave the nice weather to come back? Well, that, you know, they're excited. I mean, it's an opportunity. You know, my wife's from the Bronx. Uh, okay. You know, I'm from the state of West Virginia, so it's a chance to get back closer to home where you can see family a little bit closer. That was the first thing. And then the second thing is they were excited about the opportunity to get back in the Big Ten, to get back in a place where, you know, with, with, with Coach Smith, who's, who's, a, who's a household name, and uh, just a great opportunity to come and, and take over a situation and get it right back on the – the winning track of what it needs to be. You know, I, I had a chance to, to see Juice Williams the other day. He stopped by the office and cool. got a chance to meet him. And, you know, that was good, just talking with him and just just trying to connect with the former alumni. All those things are exciting, man. And he's he's excited and other people excited. So, you know, it, it's reciprocated our family as well. Well, Rod, we appreciate your time this morning. I know it's a busy day, as uh, we just talked about. So thanks so much for joining us. And we'll be talking to you again down the road for sure. Well, much appreciated. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rod. Thanks for having me. Yep, you're welcome. That is new Illini Offensive Coordinator Rod Smith, uh, hired a week ago yesterday, was introduced to the media yesterday for the first time, been in town uh, since Monday. Uh, of course, the Illini, new Illini tight ends coach Corey Patterson out of St. Louis was introduced yesterday as well. And so we'll have uh, two new coaches. But, Lauren, there's still more coaching positions open. Uh, there, was a, there was one before Thursday, and now they have – Two, if my math is correct, because Nathan wasn't an on-field coach, Nate Schulhaus. So I think there's yep. two still outstanding spots for. They love. need a defensive line coach. Yes, and they need a defensive backfield coach unless they want to flip people around. Yep. But that line coaching job is huge. Fair did a really good mm-hmm. job here. Yeah. And of course, he's got a chance to go back to the NFL with the uh, Indianapolis Colts. And I think it's fair to say that uh, the pay at the NFL level is probably a couple hundred. Generally speaking. Hundred to two hundred to three hundred thousand dollars more than at the same position in college. That of course fluctuates and varies, but we know that the Colts are probably playing more than Illinois in that situation. So he couldn't very well turn it down. And of course, they haven't formally announced that yet, but they will when the, when the Colts have a head coach. Yeah, which is going to be Josh McDaniels when the Patriots right. probably win another Super Bowl next Sunday. Well, we'll take a timeout. We'll come back. Ryan Easterling of IlliniInquire.com. Get his thoughts on what we just talked about. Mike Fair leaving a whole defensive line coach position. Uh, what does it do for recruiting as well? Ryan's coming up next here on DWS. You know, outstanding football coach, outstanding man. You know, we have history. You know, I coached Mike at Arizona State, so we've been together for a long period of time. Uh, but, you know, good football coaches sometimes uh, decide to leave and and uh, take on a different challenge. That's a part of it. With our program, um, we're, people are, will want our, our, our coaches. Uh, and NFL will, will take some of our coaches. That's okay. We're going 
well, that's, that's a part of it. The NFL would take some of our players. That's okay, too. Uh, and what we'll do is we'll replace them with, with other good coaches. You know, sometimes when you've played at a university and only been at that university, it's good to go away, you know. Uh, uh, but Nathan Shieldhouse is bright. Again, he'll do a great job for Iowa State. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, we haven't, you know, hopefully someday we'll get a chance to coach together again. Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk on DWS. Lauren Tate, Michael Kaiser with you. Lovey Smith yesterday on former defensive line coach Mike Fair leaving for the NFL and then Nathan Schulhaus leaving for the running backs coach at Iowa State. Please be joined now by Ryan Easterling of IlliniInquire.com. Ryan, good morning. How are you? Doing well. How are you guys? Pretty good. Well, just before uh, the break, we were I was doing some math on a it's two open positions right now for for Lovey Smith uh, with all the moving parts here the last uh, week or so, and I uh, wasn't expecting Thursday what transpired with with, with Nathan Shieldhouse and Mike Fair. Uh, let's start with Mike Fair though, uh, kind of a a big loss from a coaching standpoint and the, what he's done for the defensive line the, the last few years. Definitely, and I mean he was a guy that was around before Lovey even got to mm-hmm. Champaign. Uh, he was a guy who was hired under. Or Cubit and did a great job to kind of hold that defense together during that transition. And, you know, he had a lot of NFL background, not really a college guy by trade, but, um, you know, I, I thought he did a really great job. He was one of, a, a well-liked guy. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's kind of like Lovey said, when you're doing the right things, the NFL is going to want you. And they understand that he would probably get a call like that. And, you know, for, for Mike, it's, it's an opportunity to get back in the NFL where he might be more comfortable. Um, and I thought he did a fairly good job recruiting, but, um, you know, some of those guys don't necessarily want the grind of being on the road all the time like that. And it's, it's understandable. He had a great opportunity here and has a, uh, I guess for him personally, an, an even better opportunity to get back into the league and, and not have to move too far away to do it too. You know, uh, presumably he'll be coaching under Josh McDaniels, mm-hmm. who's coaching in a Super Bowl right now. So, um, you know, I think it's I think it's a good good job for him, and you know, Lovey Smith has has a pretty wide-reaching net, so I, I don't anticipate too many issues with him getting to fill that spot. I, I would imagine he's already got his short list and has some candidates in mind that he would like to get on board pretty quick. From that's that's um, I wanted to ask you about the recruiting. You kind of touched on it there. Um, how big of a loss recruiting-wise is this? Uh, was he just obviously he recruited, but is this a how does this impact the staff recruiting? Well, I mean, I, I don't think Mike Fair was one of your rock star recruiters quite like Thad Ward was or like you're hoping Corey Patterson would be, but he was a solid recruiter. I, I don't want to sell him short on that because okay. I thought he did a really good job establishing relationships given that he didn't really have a deep college background. I, like I said, he was a pretty approachable guy, always pretty positive. Uh, and I think he did, you know, he had roots in Arizona, but I think he did a pretty good job too of establishing himself in the state, you know, uh, along with Luke Butkus and Lovey Smith, he was also pretty involved with Curtis Brown. And so, you know, I, I thought he did a pretty good job of being present. I thought he was, you know, as, as best as he could, was relatable to a lot of these kids. And, you know, the product he put on the field spoke for itself in a lot of ways, too. He sent several guys to the league. Um, even after that whole Zook era where they had so many defensive linemen going to the league, he kind of kept that up and continued to put guys into the NFL. So, you know, it, it will be a loss, but I, I think at the same time, this is another opportunity to – fill the void that he is leaving with another good recruiter. And I, I think Lovey Smith has probably, like I said, a short list of guys that he would prefer to fill in that position and probably had a feeling that this might have been coming for some time. So, uh, Ryan, before we get off of Fair, 
who uh, and let's talk about the defensive line because I we always refer to the front four, but when you have two hundred and thirty pound or two hundred and forty pound defensive ends, it's <laughs> that seems to me like not enough bulk to handle the 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 opposing running. What's your thoughts on whether whether Roundtree and and some of these players that are that played last year as freshmen can develop to where Illinois can stop the running game of the opposition? Well, this is going to be a, a crucial offseason for all those freshmen that played this last year. Um, you know, they got a, they got Owen Carney in at, at the winter semester last year and had a chance to put some weight on him. But Roundtree, Isaiah Gay, Jamal Woods, all those guys, they showed up in the summer and had to put on weight fast. And, you know, considering what Bob, a guy like Bobby Roundtree came out of high school weighing, I, I thought he did a really good job of putting that weight on. He's got a, a superb frame for being able to carry more weight. So, I'm really eager to see what Joey Bose has been able to do this offseason with those guys to get them up to a better playing weight. Because I think you'll probably see Roundtree eventually, as big as he is, play about 265, 270 and look like He-Man. So, um, you know, getting getting that additional healthy weight on those guys this offseason is going to be big. And you get some good help in the uh, interior of the defensive line. Because you, you add a guy like Virtus Brown, who's so stout and strong, and you get Calvin Avery, who's a, a bull in there too adding him, those two guys to the mix with Jamal Milan and, and Tamir Oliver. You know, I, I think the interior of your defensive line is good, but where you really want to see the physical development is with your defensive ends. And that's why this offseason is so crucial for those guys in the weight room. By the way, you mentioned Virtus Brown, and, and he's listed as the defensive lineman, and my inside word is he's going to play center. Now, what, what do you think he'll play? I don't know. It depends on who the new coach uh, wants to fight. If the new, I guess the new defensive line coach wants to fight Buckus. I know his, <laughs> his <laughs> <laughs> impression – I don't. I don't think I'd want to fight Buckus too much either. No. But you know, my. Uh, you know what he's been told so far, at least that at the time of his decision, his plan was to come in and play a three technique defensive tackle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know whether that's changed in the last month with Fair's departure, I, I can't say for sure. But you know his his mindset was to play defensive tackle. Um, he was a solid center, and and but I've always envisioned him as a defensive lineman. He's just so strong that I think he could really be a good gap control defensive tackle. Uh, he'll free things up for a guy like Calvin Avery. Those two really complement each other well. So that's why I'd like to see him do that. Now, maybe he starts at, at center his first year, but I'd really like to just see him get entrenched on the defensive line and, and just build on that strength that they have there. Because I think before too long, he's just going to end up on that side of the ball because it just makes too much sense. A lot of it might depend on Kramer, the starting center this last year, whether he's good enough, whether he can hold down the center position and then he wouldn't have to worry about it. He'd be there for several more years. I mean, he was a redshirt freshman this last year, so he'd have three more seasons. And they'd love for Kramer to be the guy because that would release – I would think that would release Brown for defense. By the way, Brown played in that All-Star game. He played offensive guard. So he's been moved around a little bit. But uh, I just thought I'd bring it up because I think it's it's, it's still uh, open as to what will happen. Uh, sure, and the other the other possibility is you also have Kendrick Green who played center yep. in high school as well. So you know between he and Brown, I would imagine one of those guys land at center and one of them end up on the defensive line. Just they'll probably mix things up as they get an opportunity to work with them in the spring and just see what the best fit is for both of those right. guys. Ryan Easterling of Atlanta Inquirer joining us here on uh, DWS Saturday Sports Talk. Uh, Kendrick Green, I, I, I'm glad he redshirted this year. He didn't get any reps, and I, I think that's going to be key for him moving forward just because of his talent level. I thought with all the freshmen coming in, he might get some snaps, but uh, unless I missed some, he didn't get any snaps this year. Is that correct? No, he redshirted. Uh, yep. He, Larry Oladipo, and Deion Pate were the three guys that redshirted, and all, I guess, as far as how they were labeled coming out of high school were defensive linemen because they had such a big haul 
in that 2017 mm-hmm. class on the D-line. They were able to redshirt a couple of those guys. So I think that was good just as far as development and getting them up to speed and not putting them in to a situation that wasn't necessarily uh, best for them at the time. That gives them a chance to develop and, and get comfortable with what, what they're going to be doing. Give Ryan a follow on Twitter, at Ryan Easterling. Uh, well, an interesting uh, commitment last night, uh, an interesting way. Of course, a kicker uh, has socks. His feet let you know where he's going. And Caleb Griffin wore Illini socks last night before the game. Uh, he plays for Danville, plays basketball. And I got to see him in one game this season. Uh, we broadcasted the Danville game over there. And uh, right before halftime, he nearly made a 50-some yarder uh, for the Vikings. And I'm like, man, I'd like to see this kid over here in Champaign. And that's what he uh, announced last night. He's going he's gonna to blue shirt. He's going to be a part of the 2019 class. How big of a get uh, is this? We don't always talk about kickers. Well, I think it's really important because usually you don't pay attention to the kicker until they mess up. Um, And and Griffin's a guy that's got really good mechanics, really good range. I I think the thing I like most about him, though, is he's a really good athlete. You know, you've seen seen some kickers that struggle with consistency that aren't necessarily the best athletes, but he's a great athlete. There's a video of him throwing down, like, windmill dunks and things like this, and he's a good basketball player, so – you know, the last the last real great athlete kicker I think I remember was Derek Dimke, and you saw how that turned out. He mm-hmm. was a great kicker at Illinois. So I think this is a big pickup. You know, you've only got Chase McLaughlin for another, I think, year or so. So you got to get somebody to fill in, and you haven't really got a whole lot of consistency out of James McCourt. Uh, I mean, there will still be competition there. It's it's going to be open competition. But, you know, adding a guy like like Griffin that had D, D1 offers and picked up an Iowa offer the night before his decision – you know, it, it's a guy that other people wanted, uh, and I think it's an important position that if you get a consistent performer there, uh, it's one less thing to worry about as far as your specialists are concerned. So now you've got a great punter in Blake Hayes, and you're going to have another really solid, consistent kicker in Caleb Griffin. Uh, I'm going to switch you over to uh, offense here because it seems to me every year or two, Illinois changes the offensive direction, coordinator, leader, and uh, with McGee gone, and, and Rod Smith uh, certainly impressed everybody uh, yesterday and this morning when we talked to him. But how difficult is it to change so cons- repeatedly at that key position? Well, I think one of the important things with, with the Rod Smith hire is that you're not completely reinventing the wheel from what you were doing before. Um, you were recruiting the personnel for the same type of offense that he runs. Uh, you saw a little more power run game, all out of the Bobby Petrino system. Uh, under McGee, but I, you know they've got speedy quarterbacks. They're recruiting guys that can really sling it in, in Taylor and Rivers, and still have another offer or two out. Some guys, um, you know, you're not really reinventing your roster and reshaping your roster. And I think that was one of the challenges. If you you know you talk about Nathan Shieldhouse, he had four, I think it was four offensive coordinators in four years, which is just extremely detrimental to a quarterback's development. And then you go to a guy like Rod Smith, who's noted as a developer of quarterbacks I I think that's going to be big especially with as young as they'll be at quarterback and and how raw some of those quarterbacks are it gives him a chance if he's going to be here for two three four years and they commit to him I think it's going to give him an opportunity to really mold these guys to fit this offense you know as as long as he's sticking around and I, I think they're not really starting from scratch like they have in the past where they've gone from spread to power run back to a pro style spread type thing. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think that it's going to be necessarily as big of a learning curve. If anything, the, the biggest learning curve will be the youth, uh, but they've got the tools to run this offense. And I think the, the key will just be getting it 
ingrained in a lot of those guys that played this last year. And then also once the summer comes along, integrating the, the 2018 guys that, that come in and um, really just getting that quarterback battle going and, and not just handing off the reins to a quarterback by default like they kind of did this past year. Well, they're going to hand it off by default this spring because <laughs> Cam Thomas yeah, is the not, only not one. And my, my big question to you is, is Cam Thomas good enough? I think he can be. You know, I, I've seen him play. Uh, I saw him play in high school. And I, I think his high school performance and his high school stats are misleading because he really didn't have a whole lot of talent around him at Marion Catholic. Uh, he did as a freshman. Uh, but a lot of his best players, I mean, you look at that Homewood Flossmore roster and a lot of their best players used to go to Marion Catholic. And so he had a, didn't have a whole lot of weapons to work with. Now, because of that, I, th I think that lack of success probably stunted his growth a little bit, um, you know, just because you couldn't get that confidence built up and everything and get in that flow. But at the same time, I mean, he's, he's got some of these tools and that's why a guy like Rod Smith coming in is such a big deal because he's a, He's a guy that's, like I said, noted for developing quarterbacks, and you, and you see what, what he can possibly do with a guy like Cam, especially with as good as he is with his feet. Um, you know, the, I think Cam Thomas, the passer, is still going to be a work in progress, but I think with a guy like Rod Smith at the helm calling these plays, he's going to get the best out of Cam Thomas as a runner, and I, I think that's what's probably going to be his biggest leap this year is that he'll be, he'll, uh, be put in better positions to run the football and, and do a little more read option with guys like Mike Epstein and Reggie Corbin. Ryan Easterling of Atlanta Enquirer joining us for a couple more minutes here on Saturday Sports Talk. Give him a follow on Twitter at Ryan Easterling. Ryan, I want to ask you about uh, Corin, Corin Taylor and what the latest that you're hearing with him is. I know signing day is just around the corner of the second set of signing day coming up here. Uh, what's the latest with him? Well, everything I've heard over the last month, month and a half, is that his situation has improved. I mean, it sounds like he's at least on track, but you know, we won't really know until he puts ink to paper and signs and then uh, if he shows up in the summer, I mean, he's, he would be a big piece to this whole situation. I, I kind of see him a, a lot like a Pat white. If you want to compare it to a former Rod Smith quarterback, he's a guy that, you know, could, I think as a senior, he passed for around 1800 yards, rushed for about 1500, something like that. And those, those are about the ratios of Pat white's passing to running too. He's a guy that uh, is a physical player, uh, but has really good athleticism and a huge arm. So, you know, if nothing else, I think you need him in that quarterback room for, for competition and depth. Uh, he's a guy who I think can really has a high ceiling. And, uh, you know, getting him on campus would be a, a big deal um, just for the sake of, of at getting a full quarterback room and just being able to uh, develop an in-state guy that's been was one of the first ones to really buy into this, this program. Ryan, have you heard whether his situation is more uh, test score uh or whether he'll need to have certain grades when this semester is over? I, I don't really know. Um, I, I don't try to pry on too many guys' academic specifics. Um, you know, it, it could very well be a test score. It could very well just be one or two courses that he needs to, to close out. And you know, But a lot of times the, the staff will, will put together a plan for these guys to – to get that closed out and get everything taken care of. So, mm -hmm. you know, it sounds like it sounds like a similar situation to what Ricky Smalling had coming out of high school. And what I've actually heard is that Corn's in, or Corn's in better better position than Ricky was. So that I would say that's encouraging if Ricky was able to make it on campus. Um, and so, you know, getting getting him taken care of and everything is, is going to be a big thing. And if he's able to sign in February, then I think that gives you a big boost. Ryan, uh, one final thing uh, from me. Uh, Nate Shieldhouse uh, leaving the staff. Uh, obviously, wasn't an on-field coach. Uh, could not recruit. 
Uh, I know he did at times when there was a staff shortage, but uh, it, it disappointed to see him go. But uh, is, was this the right decision by Lovey to, to, in terms of hiring other coaches and maybe not Nate right now? I don't think it was an easy decision right. uh, for Lovey because, you know, if, if you're talking about Corey Patterson versus Nate Shieldhouse, uh, yeah, it's, it's close. It's close because both bring uh, some, some great qualities to the table. Um, you know, I don't think anybody sells Corey Patterson's ability as a coach short. Um, and, you know, Nate gave blood, sweat, and tears for this program, four-year starter, uh, really, really high football IQ. Uh, I think he would have been – would have been a great addition to the staff too. Um, I just think maybe the timing wasn't right. It, it's unfortunate. I think if there was another staff opening on the offensive side of the ball, uh, then I think absolutely he would have gotten an opportunity. I, I think Lovey would have kept him around, but just kind of looking at the numbers and, and what they needed to do as far as rounding out this whole staff, I just think that it, they probably didn't have a spot for him now. Uh, I would love to see him come back. Sure. Uh, I got a chance. I got a chance to know Nate from his freshman year of college and, spent a lot of time around he and his family during that time and um you know extremely high character guy well liked uh actually had grown some great roots in the state of illinois as far as his ability to recruit liked by high school coaches in this state um and now they're gonna have to recruit against him uh and it's gonna be it's gonna be tough i think there's gonna be some battles uh but i think this will be a good opportunity as long as i think they, they stay in touch um, you know, keep that relationship going. I, I think that they need to make sure that he doesn't feel jaded, that he doesn't feel put off or cast off by, by this program. I think they need to say, Hey, you know, this is, this is why we did what we did. We would love to have you back when the time is right. Cause I, I think he's a guy that with his dedication and how much he proved at, at Illinois and has so many records in the football record book, um, that he would be a guy that I would love to see come back in, in some capacity, whether that's as a, you know, depending on down the road, a quarterback's coach or some sort of offensive coach. Um, just because I, I think he would bring so much to the program down the line once he has a chance to kind of cut his teeth as, as a full-time assistant on the staff for more than just a year. Uh, Larry Boyd was a player at Trinity uh, and played under Patterson. Of course, Lovey recruited him through Patterson. And Boyd, I think, is a, is a real prospect and started all season this year in the offensive line. How many uh, do you are you aware of? How many players are at Trinity Catholic alone that would be major prospects and in that conference in St. Louis? It seems like all the players, many of the players, are are in that conference. Yeah, Trinity Catholic is a, is just a load of talent. Uh, they've got so many guys with Division One offers, and Patterson was a big big part of that. Uh, not only just how he developed the players, but just how he was able to get them exposure and and build that program from from what was essentially nothing. Um, you know, he, he got Larry Boyd to come over to that Trinity Catholic program, and a lot of those guys followed. And now you look at guys like Isaiah Williams, Shimon Cooper, Marcus Washington, Terrion Cooper, Bryce Childress. There's probably 15 guys on that roster that have an Illinois offer. And I think Patterson really opens up the door whoa, whoa, whoa. and you, increases their fif- possibility. Fifteen players off one team have got Illinois offers? They're, they're loaded, man. <laughs> I mean, I'm and, and they're and they are not the only program in St. Louis. The other thing to pay attention to that I think gets overlooked a lot is that Lutheran North, which is where Ronnie Perkins, who's headed to Oklahoma, mm-hmm. played. Their head coach Carl Reed is very good friends with Corey Patterson, and they have a, a handful of guys with Illinois offers, including Jack Buford, who is uh, Thomas Rooks's, I think, nephew. Okay. So you know, there's a there's a lot of talent in that St. Louis area. So I. You know, when you look at the decision between Patterson and Shieldhouse, while it's tough, you understand that this gives you a serious advantage 
um, and a leg up in St. Louis recruiting in a very, very, very crucial year that could potentially be a game changer for this roster. Well, Ryan, we appreciate your time this morning. Thanks so much. I know uh, I would say that's a really busy time of year for you usually, but a lot of players already signed uh, uh, last month. Uh, so we just got to wait to see what happens on uh, February 7th. What's the 15 transfers right now, and how many can sign on the 7th? Was it eight or nine? I, yeah, I, I think there are about eight or nine open scholarships, okay. but as far as the class size, I don't know that they're going to be able to fill every single one of those with okay. a signee. I think they've got a few that they would have to use on grad transfers, and they're looking at a few True. of them. So, And I, I think that helps, too, with roster balance. That'll, that'll help you out with a little bit of roster balance. And it's if you don't use them, then you're kind of just wasting house money. Yeah, definitely. Well, Ryan, have a great weekend. We appreciate it. Good stuff as always. No problem. Thanks, guys. Yep. Ryan Easterling, give him a follow on Twitter at Ryan Easterling, uh, 24-7 sports at lineinquire.com. We'll have uh, coming up at 10 o'clock again. We're going to have Jeff Rabjohns, covers the Hoosiers, Indiana Recruiting, Archie Miller, thoughts on the Big Ten, maybe the Purdue Boilermakers as well. Then at 10.30, Tim Evans of the Indianapolis Star. Uh, kind of He and a couple of colleagues broke the Larry Nasser story along with a, a gymnast who came out around the same time, and that, that's where he reached this week where he was sentenced to up to 175 years in prison. When we come back, a couple of college basketball coaches got an extension. Well, they didn't get the extension yesterday. One of them had one for a while. We just found out about it yesterday. But, man, it was really surprising. We'll tell you who that is. And so. you tell me how Nunn's doing. Yes. Uh, okay. Former Illini doing his thing. We'll tell you all about that coming up next. This is Saturday Sports Talk on DWS. Last year got a chance to know Corey uh, recruiting uh, one of his players, Larry Boyd, that's, that's really uh, done well in our program. But – uh, got a chance to see him uh, mentor, uh, teach, uh, you know, on and off the football field. And and uh, I knew then if someday we did have an opportunity to get him on our staff, I was going to do everything possible to make sure that that happened. Corey's done an outstanding job down in the St. Louis area uh, at Trinity Catholic. Uh, he built their program up. Uh, of course, they're winning uh, a lot of games right now, and he's really sending out good guys going on to different programs. I think um, the things that that make me um, a pretty good coach are the same things that I'll continue doing. Um, just getting to know my guys, being there for them, um, working hard with them, not just getting on them, um, helping to build and grow young men. I think that'll be the biggest thing to do. Um, the football, kind of, that'll, that'll kind of handle itself. Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Lauren Tate, Michael Kaiser with you. That was Lovey Smith and Corey Patterson, the new tight ends coach for the Illini football team. And of course, as you know, he's out of Trinity Catholic. A lot of players, as Ryan Easterling just told you, just on that squad alone. Uh, so we'll welcome them to town. Corey Patterson and Rod Smith officially introduced yesterday. Lovey Smith uh, had a news conference introduce them. Well, we told you before the break, a couple of coaches, one was announced yesterday, and that was uh, Mike Anderson at Arkansas. Got a new two-year contract extension. Another coach, this time, this one in the Big Ten, uh, it was this one, I guess, was taken care of in November, wasn't really announced, and uh, Scott Darterman, our good friend Lauren, who covers the Iowa Hawkeyes, we had him on a, a week or two ago, um, he can help get the contract details for this. Um, the land of 10 has it. Fran McCaffrey had a contract extension. It was announced. It was released in some fashion yesterday through 2023. What? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what? What are they thinking? 
what are they thinking? Now, my favorite part about this contract extension, if the school decides to fire him this offseason, which with a contract extension, that's not going to happen. But if they let's just say that they decide to fire him this offseason, how much money do you think he's going to get paid, Lauren? $10 million. $10.2 million for Fran McCaffrey to go away because of his new deal. I, I, I'm just I, – Iowa right now uh, – It's not money. It's not. It's monopoly. It is. It's and Iowa has a huge crowd at every football game who helps pay for these kind of things. But well, Iowa right now fifty million from the from the Big Ten every year too. Yeah, Iowa right now eleven and eleven, just like the Illini, and they had a miracle win here in Champaign. Well, their whole theory over there is that they got to keep McCaffrey because his son's the best player in Iowa, six foot seven or so. I don't know how big he yeah, is. And that's he, true. He's, he's coming in and he's already committed, and they think that they, he's already got one son there who's been injured but is going to be playing. And so, you know, I think that ties into it. I, I, that makes complete sense. And if that does it make sense? <laughs> well, it, your reasoning, your, that I understand if they want to get that kid, but I don't know if I was one enough to give him a – I'm not saying he needs to be fired this offseason. I'm not sure. I'm not studying. He just needs to get somebody in there to give him an idea how to play just a, just a tiny bit of defense. Yeah. They just don't play defense, and that that's their problem. No, and every you know you you, you look up and say, well, gee, you know, Iowa would have won, but the other team shot so well. <laughs> well, of course you shoot well when you're not being covered. I yeah, mean, that's <laughs> the problem. you're wide open all the time. Yeah. Well, one of the quick note before we take a timeout, we also teased uh, Kendrick Nunn for Milana. Of course, if he uh, didn't get arrested and get in trouble with the law, he wouldn't be playing basketball in college this year anyway. He would have he would have graduated with Malcolm Hill last year. But he had to sit out a year. He transferred to Oakland after he was uh, removed from the team, uh, from John Gross's team. He had 33 points last night. Uh, not, nothing unusual there. He's been doing that uh, for a lot of the season. And 19 of his 33 in the second half, helping Oakland to an 83-70 win. Still second in the nation in the scoring, and he's just not going to catch Trey Young at this point. Trey Young, unless he just kind of falls off the map, Lauren's averaging 30.3 points a game. Kendrick Nunn averaging 26.4 points a game. Uh, 476 points so far this season and uh just he's taking advantage of his second chance he's taking tremendous advantage of a second chance that not everybody gets he's got athleticism we don't speak that about many of the Illini players Mm -hmm. he's got athleticism yeah and it would have been nice to have again if he did not get in trouble would have been nice to have him last year I think it's an NCAA tournament team with him because of that athleticism which they also lacked last year and uh becoming a theme so um, again, good to see him do well with his second chance uh, and, and making up for the mistake. And I hope he's got his life cleaned up and turned around. And uh, I don't know if he's an NBA player or not. Uh, he's he's going to play ball somewhere next year. He's right. really, really good. And uh, well, But Oakland, I watched him play against Michigan State this year, some of that game, and you know he did well against the Spartans. So he does this against good competition too. This And he, had, he was injured before that game and still played the whole game. Yeah. So, all right, hey, Marcus but, Cousins, by the way, I just want to throw that oh, out. Oh, yeah, you what should. What a tough uh, – Tough oh. loss for the Pelicans. What they won six out of seven and like won that. another good game last night. He got hurt in the last minute, diving for a ball, I believe, and and uh, he's got an Achilles problem. Mm-hmm. Going to have to have surgery. Uh, he'd be lost for the season. Yeah, they they have not officially diagnosed it, but apparently everyone with the Pelicans are like, yeah, this is a torn Achilles. He's done, and it's uh, disappointing. Anthony Davis and Demarcus Cousins, are, I think, are a great duo. One two punch. Yeah, I thought New Orleans would be a better team than they are, but they're twenty seven and twenty one, six seed in well, the you West. They'd be better than twenty seven, twenty one. I thought they would because of those two. They're so good. I, Anthony Davis is just incredible, yeah. and I thought the two of them together 
uh, would really make it difficult uh, from an opponent standpoint. Uh, but just six games above 500. The Western Conference, though, is really tough mm-hmm. with Houston and San Antonio and Golden State, of course. Take a timeout. We're going to bring in Jeff Rabjohns, covers the uh, Indiana Hoosiers, get his thoughts on Indiana moving forward here. Of course, they lost to the Illini the other night, 73-71. Uh, get his thoughts on Archie Miller, what he thinks, uh, how he's doing in season one. That and more coming up next. Stay with us here on DWS. Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Lauren Tate, Michael Kaiser with you. 47 degrees at 10.07. Uh, Please be joined now by Jeff Rabjohns, covers the Indiana Hoosiers and recruiting. Of course, was in town the other night when Indiana fell to the Illini 73-71. Jeff, Illini fans want want to thank you for the uh, first victory of the season for the Illini Big Ten play. (laughs) Well, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that – you know, I think uh, maybe uh, Leron Black and uh, Trent Frazier and uh, even uh, Nicholas Kipper, uh, I'm going to say they had a little more to do with it than I did. Probably. Uh, Jeff covers Indiana recruiting uh, for Peaks.com, part of the Scout.com network. Well, Jeff, what have you seen from, from Archie Miller in his first season? I know they had a couple of uh, lapses, Fort Wayne and I believe Indiana State. Uh, lost to Fort Wayne two years in a row now, if I'm correct. How much yeah. growth have you seen from them uh, since early part of the season and, and adapting to what Archie uh, wants? Well, the biggest thing is that, uh, that I see and, and hear, you can see on the court and you can hear, you know, behind the scenes from, you know, people and, and people who are in practice is there's the implementation of a system and there's very strong belief in implementing that system. Uh, he's much more defensive oriented than Tom Crean was. And that's not to say anybody's 100% right or 100% wrong, but at almost every turn where Tom Green would say, okay, we got 20 minutes in practice, a little extra today, we're going to shoot threes. Uh, Archie's going to go, we're working on transition defense. You know, where Tom would turn right, Archie's turning left. They're just fundamentally different in what they believe is important about the game of basketball. Um, And Archie's defensive system is is essentially uh, pack line principles. And that takes a little while to learn because all five guys have to make reads, and, and on all five guys have to make the same read, or you end up with two guys going with a screener, or two guys uh, going with the guy on a slip screen, or, or, or two guys staying baseline on, on a pin down and a rock up, um, and then you end up with what? An opponent's wide open, which is what happened against Indiana State and what happened against Fort Wayne. But what you see is defense has slowly been improving. Uh, the numbers are improving slightly, but just the play, if you watch them actually play, their guards are getting better at keeping somebody in front. Their bigs are getting better at understanding at a hard hedge, at uh, a, a ball screen up top if you're not going to ice it. So the, the, the philosophy is there. Obviously, the philosophy was very successful at Dayton. Um, there are elements of the philosophy that, you know, he learned uh, from, you know, from his dad, a coach, uh, some developed with his brother, who's obviously been very successful uh, at Xavier in Arizona. Um, so I see the implementation of a very different philosophy. And I also see um, the idea that uh, there's accountability. And I think that was one of the things that IU fans got frustrated with Tom Crean about. Players would have some really bad stretches, and there would be no accountability. Accountability meaning what? 
sit down next to me on the bench for a few minutes, son. That's not what I have to play here. That kind of stuff. And 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 Archie's, you know, he's putting guys on the bench, and no, not forever. You know, he's not going to bench people for a game. But he's going to pull you out and let you know, yeah, that's not what you, that's not what you do. But I think those are the two biggest things that I've seen. And I would say third, and this is probably number one as it relates toward the future, is he has reconnected Indiana basketball with high school basketball coaches in the state of Indiana. That was something that was uh, that was slipping fast and far the last few years of, of Tom Crean's tenure. And Archie Miller walks in the door and within a matter of months, lands a four-star point guard from uh, McCutcheon High School in Indiana, right up there next to West Lafayette, and a 6'6 four-star shooter out of South Bend, an area where IU had not had much success for decades. So he's also reconnecting Indiana with the state, and I think that, you know, obviously recruiting, you know, that's, that's the lifeblood of your program moving forward. Jeff, why do you think that uh, things fell apart in terms of the high school coaching relationship with Tom Crean? Why, why do you think that happened? Because Indiana is such a hotbed for basketball, and um, you know it's Indiana. I mean, kids want to play for there, but they were going else, elsewhere, especially the kid that went to UCLA, Chris Wilkes, who went to UCLA. Well, Chris Wilkes at UCLA, uh, you got Kyle Guy, Mr. Basketball, from a few years out, out in Virginia now. Um, you, know, you can go to Gary Harris, Michigan State, Zach Urban, Mr. Basketball, Michigan. A uh, whole, whole list of players who have not only not gone to Indiana, but left the state entirely. And, you know, that's a little bit of it. Players look around nationally more, but the disconnect was very real. And there, I think there were a couple reasons. One, uh, Indiana high school coaches did not feel like Tom Crean was prioritizing their players. Probably the most noticeable thing came a couple falls ago when the fall evaluation period started, which is when college coaches can go to open gyms and, and at, at high schools and watch players play. And Tom Cream went somewhere out of state and Virginia, Purdue, a whole bunch of other states or schools from various states were at Lawrence North High School to see Kyle Guy, who went on to be Mr. Basketball that year. That was a, a visible example of, excuse me, the cost. I hope I had the mute button in time there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, that was a visible example of what the high school coaches, you know, were seeing. You know, IU coaches being out of state, not not being around. Um, and then there are a lot of high school coaches in the state of Indiana who really believe in uh, how the game should be played, if you will, the old phrase. And they believe, you know, you need to play good defense. You should be solid defensively. You should value the basketball. You should take good shots. And some of them saw Tom Green's teams play, and they saw – High turnover rates, 20% or more per game on a regular basis, nothing being done about it. Um, they saw very poor defense. Um, I mean, there are some almost infamous video clips up on social media about, you know, some plays where IU guys just go the wrong way, and, and then they cut to the sideline. There's Tom Crean clapping, and people are like, what are you clapping about? What's going on? Why isn't anything being done? But I think the, the lack of communication – the lack of showing up, you know, uh, to open gyms, to other things throughout the state of Indiana, and then the style of play. I think those are the three things that started really strained relationships uh, between Indiana high school coaches and the previous IU coaching staff. Jeff, this is Lauren. I'm always fascinated by this discussion of Purdue's recruiting and the fact that Indiana, for a long time, you you helped me here, there was a long time, there was a long period, I think even – 
I think it was said that Purdue never got a player that Indiana wanted from the state. Is that right? I mean, for, uh, during a long period of time? For a long stretch, yes. Yes. Um, now, some of, the, some of those stories, uh, there might be a little bit of folklore involved about whether Indiana wanted the player or not. Right. Um, you know, because uh, certainly with the big dog, Lynn Robinson, um, <laughs> you know, I think anybody would have taken him. Absolutely. Uh, now, whether or not Bob Knight actually actively recruited him or just kind of bowed out early, that depends upon who you believe. But overall, for, for many years, uh, if Indiana wanted a player in the state, uh, it was going to be very difficult for anybody else to get that player. Um, but, but even under Knight, you know, that, that started to, to slip some. You know, you, you had Eric Montross from Lawrence North right there in Indianapolis uh, who Bob Knight went after very, very hard. Uh, 1988-89 was his senior year. And, uh, you know, he ends up going out to North Carolina and actually helping Carolina win a title. So there were guys who got out of state. It's not like guys getting out of state was completely new. Um, but it was the number of guys that get a got out of state um, that, that went away. But, yeah, as far as IU and Purdue, it, it was seldom that, I, that IU lost a head-to-head battle there. Yeah, and, and, and I'm talking about that long period when Katie had a lot of good teams, and, of course, now you're seeing excellent basketball teams at Purdue, and, and uh, I'm just, uh, you know, they've, over, they've certainly overcome that, uh, whatever that deficit was in terms of recruiting in the state. Uh, where do you think Purdue's headed this year? I they stay healthy, I think, to the Final Four. Do you really? I think they're uh, – it's a terrific team. Um, they've got really good point guard play. They've got a variety of shooters. Um, they've got guys six five and taller, multiple guys six five and taller making threes. Uh, they've got a, a tree trunk in the middle in Isaac Ha. Uh, they've got another uh, legitimate post player coming in as his backup. Um, I mean, they've even got six five no gel Eastern uh, four star players. Their backup point guard. I don't know how many college teams in the country have a guy taller than six foot four who was four stars coming out of high school, um, <clears throat> you know, who's, who's the backup point guard. So I think they have all the pieces necessary. I, I'm not saying I definitely predict they're going to the Final Four. I think right now, I think they, have, they, you know, they look like a Final Four team as we sit here in January. Obviously, you have to stay healthy and all that jazz. But I think they've got all the pieces that are necessary. And unless they have some big stumbles, they're going to have the advantage of being a number one seed. Um because, you know, that, that obviously helps your path uh, with, with, with the bracket. And, and I also think, I think Matt Painter did a really good job putting this team together. And I don't think he's got nearly enough credit nationally because he's, he's a really p- particular recruiter. I mean, he, al- he always says, you know, it's like if you were trying to get a date. you got to know who might say yes and who's definitely going to say no. And he looks <laughs> around and he doesn't go after everybody. He goes after certain guys. And he, yeah, he had some success in three classes in a row that kind of led to their mix of seniors, juniors, and sophomores. But I think he did a terrific job at identifying guys. Uh, Vincent Edwards, when Purdue got on him when he was a high school sophomore, he was a pedestrian player. Now, there was upside because of his athleticism, but he was just okay. Um, But Painter, you know, saw what he wanted to see and went after him. Um, and, I, and I think I think Painter did a really good job. I mean, sometimes you see teams that have a lot of talent, but it's a little bit of the land of misfit toys, if you will. 
You know, it's like the pieces don't really fit there. But with Purdue, I think Painter did a really good job putting together a team where the pieces are good and the pieces fit. What did uh, what did you think of Illinois? You were over here for the game. You saw the Indiana game and the, and the win by Illinois. Where do you, what did you pick up here, and where do you think we're headed? Oh, I, th- I think I think Illinois is headed upward because I think uh, they've got good young players, and, and you know Underwood's a good coach. He knows what he's doing, um, and in the style that he plays, you know it's, it's different than what a lot of people do. Um, I think he's the only guy in the Big Ten who really runs that defense where, where you deny everything. No matter where the offensive man is, you're, you're trying to deny the pass. That makes you a hard prep. When, when you're different than everybody else, you become a hard prep. Uh, so I think that's, you know, there are built-in advantages to that. As far as personnel, I, I really like the young guys. Trent Frazier I like a lot. Um, you know, I, I think he's going to be a really solid kind of guard. Uh, Mark Smith, you know, I like him a lot. Got a chance to see him. Uh, when he was playing down uh, in the Metro East area, and obviously he was Mr. Basketball in the state of Indiana. I know he's got a ways to go now, <clears throat> but, you know, that, that's a pretty good freshman uh, when you're looking at, okay, what can he be moving forward? So I, I, I really like like him a lot. And obviously, you know, AO's coming in next year, so I think the backcourt will continue uh, to get better. Um, I think, that, you know, they're going to have to develop some guys in the front court, um, but I really like the backcourt, uh, and I really like the way LeBron Black is playing. His ability to create space and clear space, uh, especially on that little fadeaway that he's got going now, uh, that thing, uh, at his size, his height, and with that high release point, that thing's very difficult to challenge, much less truly guard it. So I think uh, I think he's having a really nice year, and I think I think he should be uh, a good player moving forward for Illinois too. Jeff Rab Johns joining us on Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Give him a follow on Twitter at Jeff Rab Johns. Uh, covers the Hoosiers and recruiting for Peaks.com, part of the Scout.com network. Well, because you're covering a first-year coach as well, just how difficult is it? I mean, Indiana obviously has Juwan Morgan and, and Robert Johnson and others, but there, when you don't have a really, really talented roster, which is most of the time when you have a new coach come in, how difficult is it to get the team you know, going and what the coach wants, and how long does that realistically take? Yeah, I, I think it takes a while. And I basically don't make any judgments until year three. And the reason okay. being is if you look around basketball, college basketball particularly, historically, lots of people didn't get it going until year three. I mean, you can even look at Mike Krzyzewski. If Duke would have made a decision about Mike Krzyzewski after year one, they would have fired him. It was not successful. Dean Smith was not successful for his first four years at North Carolina. Um, you know, you can go through other, you know, places. You know, uh, Sean Miller, if you want to go recent, at Arizona, missed the NCAA tournament two of his first three years. Arizona's been pretty successful since then. So I usually wait until year three. Uh, as far as year one, part of year one is, is putting in your system, whatever your system is. Brad Underwood's got to do it at Illinois. Uh, uh, you know, different guys, different places, you know, have, have to do it. Um, so I think that's part of that. That's a big part of it. Is put your system in. I think the other part of it is you got to figure out who's going to buy in, who's willing to play this way. Um, who's going to be unselfish. Who's going to be a good teammate. Uh, who wants to stay? Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's almost always attrition uh, the first year of a first year coach. I mean, I, I can't sit here and say it always happens, but I know the average is more than one transfer per year 
after a first-year coach comes in in a major college program. Uh, so Indiana's already had one. You know, Curtis Jones, who was brought in to kind of be a spot-up shooter, was not a defender by any stretch of anybody's imagination. And that's nothing – that's okay. You can be that guy, but that guy did not fit with Archie Miller whatsoever. And so Curtis Jones transferred uh, at, the, at the semester break, which is fine. It's, you know, it's like a lot of coaches say, if you don't want to play for me, tell me as soon as possible. So, the, you know, we all can move on. And, and I think, you know, that's, that, that wasn't necessarily a bad thing for, for Indiana. Um, but you, you, you see, you know, who's, who's going to stay. And I think that doesn't get answered until, <clears throat> excuse me, until season ends, you know, March or, you know, what have you, around that point in time. But I, I, would, I would not be surprised if there is attrition uh, at any school that, that, had a, that has a major college program and has a first-year coach. Jeff, uh, how big – would it be for the Big Ten for Illinois to get going again to have Illinois back near the you know top you know three to five teams in the Big Ten on a more regular basis? Just how important is that to the conference as a whole? You know, I think the Big Ten is strong enough as a brand that whoever is good in the Big Ten, you know, gets national attention. Um, you know, I. I I don't think that the Big Ten is dependent upon any certain school. You know, years ago, people used to say, well, you know, Indiana draws the most TV viewers, so it helps the Big Ten when Indiana is good. It, it might help with TV numbers, but I don't think it has a big impact on the Big Ten. Um, but, but I do think from the standpoint of just interest level in the Big Ten overall, you know, I, I think – Illinois, correct me if I'm wrong here, but Illinois and Indiana have uh, the most or second most alums in the Chicago area, a major metropolitan area. So certainly it would, it would help, uh, you know, TV interest and things like that. And uh, you know, Illinois is a place where, you know, when, when that team is good, um, it, it's a big deal, and it's a big deal nationally. And it's a big deal there, as you guys obviously know well. I mean, I remember being there uh, for several games in the 0405 season. <clears throat> I mean, that was as good as atmosphere as you could find anywhere in college basketball. The place and you know what? They, they carried it anywhere they went. <laughs> That's, they did. Uh, I actually had to cover the Illinois-Purdue game that year at Purdue, and that top bowl at Mackey Arena was almost all orange. Yeah. It was – I'm sure you guys were there, obviously – but I'll never forget that. I did not think that would happen at Purdue um, or a place where, you know, they often sell out and have pride in their program. But that that upper deck at Mackey, um, that thing was almost all orange. And it was like, oh, wow, okay. These people are not only happy uh, <laughs> to go to the home games, they're happy to get in their cars and drive a few miles. I think, you know, that, that's certainly noticeable. So there's no question that Illinois has got tremendous history. Uh, and a tremendous fan base that that is very active when the team is good. Well, Jeff, we appreciate your time this morning. Thanks so much. Uh, good stuff. We'll watch the Hoosiers the rest of the way and maybe get them to work on their free throws a little bit uh, <laughs> as we go in the next few weeks here. That definitely has been a problem for them, no doubt. Hey, thanks for having me. Sure. Warren, always great seeing you, my friend. Hey, Jeff, good to see you. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. That is uh, All Jeff. Right, take care, guys. Yep. Jeff Rabjohns, give him a follow on Twitter at Jeff Rabjohns, covers the Indiana Hoosiers and recruiting for Peaks.com, part of the Scout.com network. Take a timeout. We'll come back in a little bit at 1030. Tim Evans of the Indianapolis Star will join us on the Larry Nasser situation. Uh, his paper got the whole thing started.
Him and a couple of his colleagues there at the Indianapolis Star. That's coming up next here on DWS. I spoke to my administrative staff, coaches, many student-athletes, and most importantly, my wife Nancy and my children over the course of the past week. They are all incredible people, amazing Spartans. I've always been a Spartan, and I always will be. It's been an absolute honor to guide the athletic department for the last decade. That being said, today I'm announcing my retirement. This was not an easy decision for my family. And you should know, and you should not, you should not jump to any conclusions based upon our decision. Listen to the facts. I'm not running away from anything. I'm running towards something. Comfort, compassion, and understanding for the survivors in our community. Togetherness, time, and love for my family. Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. 47 degrees at 1031. Lauren Tate, Michael Kaiser with you. That was former athletic director Mark Hollis announcing his retirement yesterday, stepping down the second major uh, official at Michigan State, stepping down this week following the president earlier this week after Larry Nasser was sentenced on Wednesday uh, for 40 to 75 years in prison for the sexually assaulting hundreds of girls over the course of decades. Joining us now from the Indianapolis Star, Tim Evans, uh, he and two of his colleagues. Uh, Tim, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys kind of got this whole thing started and got the, and along with the gymnast. Uh, you guys were referenced in court the other day by the uh, attorney general there in Michigan before the sentencing. Um, and so uh, is, is that correct assessment of how you guys just kind of got this whole thing started in terms of Larry Nasser? Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Sure. Uh, yeah, we, we broke the story about Larry Nasser as, uh, as we were in the middle of an investigation into sexual abuse in gymnastics and uh, how USA Gymnastics, the national governing body, uh, which is located in, in Indianapolis, uh, had not always taken uh, allegations of sexual assault and sexual abuse uh, seriously or forward them to law enforcement. So that's what led us to Larry Nasser. So that was kind of like it wasn't even a focus on Larry Nasser at first. You guys were just kind of looking at the at the widespread abuse and, and just can. When did you make the connection, and uh, was it something that you realized uh, early on that this was like a, a really major situation? Yeah, uh, my colleagues Mark Alicia and Marissa Kwiatkowski and I had spent about six months in the first part of 2016 investigating USA Gymnastics and about a hundred coaches accused or convicted of uh, using young athletes. We published our story on August 4th, 2016, the night before the Rio Olympics opened. That same day, we got an email from a young lady named Rachel Denhollander, who said, I've got some information. I don't know if it uh, fits with what you're doing because it doesn't involve a coach. It involves Larry Nasser, uh, the longtime team doctor. At that time, Nasser was a, a name that was vaguely familiar, but he wasn't on our radar as someone who uh, we wanted to look into in terms of sexual abuse or anything like that. So, um, we quickly backgrounded Nasser and found out, you know, what reputation he had. Uh, within the next week or so, two other women came forward independently and told us the same, almost the same exact story uh, that, that Rachel had told us. So at that point, we realized, you know, there's, there's likely something to this story. 
and it's going to be a big deal because Nasser, you know, has been the team doctor, been around USA, uh, Team USA for 30-some years, and is kind of a, an icon in the sports world, the sports medicine world. So that's when we really started digging down on it. Give Tim a follow on Twitter at StarWatch uh, Tim. And did you, at that point, uh, when you started to get the multiple victims contacting you guys uh, independently, did you ever think it reached to what it has today with the Michigan State officials stepping down and becoming this huge, really international story because it's uh, U.S. Olympians who have been involved, like Ali Raisman, who is obviously a huge name across the world in gymnastics. Did you ever think it reached to what it has now? Oh, no. You know, it's kind of surreal thinking about it now. You know, we knew we had three survivors, and we felt very confident in their stories that they were being truthful with us. Um, and we figured, you know, if there are three, there are probably more. Maybe we'll have 10 or 15. Um, but, you know, 150, I heard last night uh, that maybe 200 women have come forward now. And, um, you know, the, the statistics show that as many as, as, you know, 80% of sexual assault victims never come forward. So likely still the tip of the iceberg. And the other part of that is, you know, we weren't really focused on Michigan State. And, and so that's that was kind of a surprise to us, the, their deep connection you know, we, we were dealing with Nasser in the context of his work away from Michigan State primarily and, you know, the Crowley Ranch and that, uh, competitions and that kind of thing. I think there are kind of three things came together to make it into an international story. And it was the Me Too movement, then the Allie Reisman, uh, Michaela Maroney, uh, Gabby Douglas, Simone Biles all came out, you know, just in recent weeks or months. And then the, the televised uh, hearing which you just couldn't ignore the, the horrible stories those women shared. And, you know, that's what really, I think, blew it up into an international story. Did you, uh, this is Lauren Tate, uh, Tim. What was the uh, year that you actually started this investigation? Thanks, Lauren. Uh, I just, I, I grew up uh, in McLean County, Leroy, and I'm a big Leroy. fan. So uh, um, when, I, when I saw your name, I jumped at the opportunity to get on. But uh, <laughs> anyhow, we, we, we started... Um, in early 2016, uh, we oh got a tip about USA Gymnastics, and that so you know we we yeah we worked on it for um, uh, pretty nonstop for more than a year and a half, and then as, as it just kind of trickled out, and we went on some other some other directions now, and we're in, into some other things. Well, what uh, you, you mentioned a hundred coaches? What's taking place in that arena right now, in terms of well, the some coaches? Of those co- yeah. Some of those coaches had been uh, banned by USA Gymnastics, uh, but typically they weren't banned until after they'd been arrested and convicted. And what we were looking at is, had there been prior warnings? Did, did USA Gymnastics miss or ignore uh, red flags or uh, uh, allegations about those coaches? And we found uh, several coaches where USA Gymnastics had been warned, uh, told they were molesting kids, and didn't do anything, and these coaches went on to molest other kids. You know, there was an opportunity to stop and save them. And so that was kind of our primary focus initially. And then it's kind of grown, you know, into the culture that allowed this kind of thing to happen, that allowed Larry Nasser, uh, uh, you know, gymnastics is a little different than track and field, where the first guy to the line is the winner. You know, it's subjective judging. And we found that the culture was, and was uh, very tight. And if you cross the wrong people, you challenge people, your athletes uh, might get uh, knocked down in the next, next competition. You know, they might get a point or a half point taken off. So people were very reluctant to challenge the, the structure of the organization. What are you doing right now relative to this overall story? We are following a, a number of leads, and including, you know, uh, we've gotten a flood of new leads, but uh, we've got a story that's be coming Sunday at IndyStar.com. Plug, sorry. That's okay. Um, 
But uh, looking at the future of USA Gymnastics, you know, the USOC called the last week for them to completely uh, get all their board members to resign. They'll have to report, appoint a new board. Uh, you know, their, their sponsors have been fleeing. They're facing lawsuits in a number of states. You know, they're in a fight for their life, USA Gymnastics. And the reason we, we focus on this initially is, is USA Gymnastics is based in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. So that's how, you know, we kind of uh, first decided to jump on the story. It was amazing how many uh, young women are, have come forth after all this time. It seemed like uh, it all started with Crosby and, and uh, Cosby, that is, and, and has gone mm-hmm. from there. And it just they, as they become more brave, the, the more stuff comes out. Well, I think, you know, you saw this at, at, at the sentencing hearing. You know, a lot of these women have never talked to anyone about this or only, you know, their doctors, their therapists, their parents, or their husbands, you know, now. And, and a lot of them, I think, thought they were alone. I, it was just me and a lot of them, you know, for and for no legitimate reason, but it's the way they felt, blamed themselves or felt, uh, you know, like they had some role, felt shame. And I think they felt empowered as they saw some of these women come forward. And it kind of just it, it, it spiraled and, you know, they, they were calling themselves an army uh, by the end. And, you know, women who had initially planned to testify at the hearing anonymously put their names on it. And, again, I think it was a, a good opportunity for them to start healing. I'm sure they've got a long way to go for a lot of them. Tim Evans uh, of the Indy Star. Tim, we'll let the uh, plug slide since you used to deliver the <laughs> News Gazette on your bike back in the day. I, I that think was my my introduction to the news business. So yeah, well, we'll let that slide since you used to work for this company. Okay. So it's it's all <laughs> good. Well, um, obviously a lot of people have heard this, but I wanted to play this again for those who did not. Uh, and of course, you heard it. You were watching it as well. But the judge uh, just didn't hold back throughout the entire you know seven or eight day sentencing hearing, and it was just something uh, in, in, incredible. Just to hear what she said. I've been in courtrooms for, for crimes and things like that, and judges usually aren't as outspoken. So let's hear from the judge in the Larry Nassner sentencing case. So I need to send a message to the whole board in the event. Somehow God is gracious, and I know he is. And you survived the 60 years in federal court first, and then you started my 40 years? You've gone off the page here as to what I'm doing. My page only goes... 100 years. Sir, I'm giving you 175 years, which is 2,100 months. I just find your death warrant. I find that you don't get it, that you're a danger. You remain a danger. I'm a judge who believes in life and rehabilitation when rehabilitation is possible. I have many defendants come back here and show me the great things they've done in their lives after probation, after parole. I don't find that's possible with you. I just signed your death warrant. Uh, that's that stuck out with me the last couple of days. And uh, again, uh, you'll hear judges say that too often. Um, as you heard throughout the thing, Tim, she was uh, she really spoke, especially when Larry Nasser put a, a sent a letter asking for this to stop. That really upset her. Were, were you surprised at how how stern she was with Larry for the last uh, week and a half or so? Yeah, I, I was surprised by the whole uh, kind of atmosphere. Like you know, I spent a lot of years in court, uh, mm-hmm. fortunately uh, covering things, um, but. You know, I that's good. Like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, and I think, you know, he he had, before he even starts this uh, sentence that could be 175 years, he has to serve another 60 years sentence first. Yeah. So, I think she is not concerned if uh, she's overturned and instead he gets 40 years or he gets 30 years. Uh, I think her primary focus was 
giving these women a, a venue, uh, women who had been a, a, a abused and had been ignored or not believed. And I think her 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 push was, I'm going to give him a voice, and you know, I'll take my lumps if he peels or something like that. Um, so it was, it was really really remarkable. Well, I mean, we're we've all uh, reporters, and uh, you know, we we don't really strive for attention from our stories, but. Uh, you guys are getting a lot of attention, uh, deservably so. It, it, I, I would imagine this is probably because of the scope of this thing. It's probably one of the bigger stories of, of you and your two colleagues' career. Uh, certainly, you know, it, it's blown up, and certainly I've been doing this for 40 years, but it's the, the biggest story, you know, that, that, that I've been involved in. And, you know, we, we've gotten a lot of attention, and it, it's great, and it, it, it's humbling. And, you know, um, I think part of it, the attention, we were kind of in, in journalism circles so with, with the nerds, um, we've kind of become heroes because of this whole fake news uh, and yes. attacks on the media. So um, I think, you know, we've kind of shown that there is real uh, important stuff going on out there. So I think that maybe helped uh, generate some attention and, and then some of the things the judge and the prosecutor said. Yeah, investigative, um, investigative journalism has kind of taken a hit of late, uh, but this uh, definitely goes to show that uh, it's still alive and, uh, and it's something that, that is needed because – as you heard the attorney general say there, that this he's still treating people. Is, is that right? You, know, you know, but the, the interesting thing to me is that we just saw this story come out today mm-hmm. that Emmert and the yes. NCA had information along these lines in 2010. Is that right? 2010? Yeah, on the sexual assaults at Michigan and, State. And nothing? That was just strictly uh, Michigan State? Yes, I think so. I believe yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, that was Michigan State, yeah. But it was Nasser. It was Nasser, um, right? Or am I wrong? No, these are the athletes, if I'm correct. Yeah, I think that was the, with the basketball players, maybe. Uh, oh, okay. Well, football. Then I'm, I'm, I'm mistaken. Football, yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. Because I just saw but, it but come again, up on our flash across the scroll yeah. on our TV, and I didn't I didn't realize, but uh, evidently Emmert's in a little bit of trouble, too, if, if he didn't uh, push something when he, when he was apprised of it. Yeah, and, you know, that, that's something we've found, and, and I've covered child abuse and, you know, uh, child welfare for years is one of the reasons I got pulled into this project. Um, and that's such a common theme, and you know they, they kind of circle the wagons. They try to keep people quiet, and it's not just USA Gymnastics. It's you know it's happened in USA Swimming. It's happened in at Penn State. It's happened in scouting, and anywhere where, where kids are, you know the, the pedophiles are going to kind of uh, try to try to get their way in. And a lot of people are more concerned about their image and, and their income than they are the welfare of the kids that are often the their real real bread and butter. Well, Tim, uh, thank you so much for your time. It's uh, good to have somewhat of a, a local guy on and uh, who broke a major, major international story. Uh, uh, I know. Congratulations to you on, on your work. And I want to mention. I appreciate it. I want to mention that Le- uh, Leroy brings back bad memories because <laughs> when I was <laughs> no. a kid in 1944, I think that what well, might have been the year, Merle Slosser and Leroy beat Monticello in football, and that was Monticello's only loss. <laughs> oh. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I remember. I remember this was a Slosser family. Yeah, yeah. small town. So okay, you know, everybody knows everyone. So well, it might be the, it might be the last time you're on. Then he doesn't like Leroy. <laughs> so oh gosh, I, I, I maybe I shouldn't have said that. Then. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, maybe you shouldn't. Thank have. you. Yeah. How long have you been at the Indy Star? You said you've been in, the, in business for forty I've been years. Star twenty years. Yeah. Twenty years now. I've been I've been doing this for forty years overall. So I'm winding down my career. Hopefully. Sure. Well, hey, uh, Tim, thanks a lot. Thanks, Tim. Have a great weekend. Thank you. It's great, great, great speaking with you both. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Thanks. Bye. That is Tim Evans of the Indy Star, part of a, a trio of reporters over there who covered this story. Uh, again, just got started in the sexual abuse allegations involving gymnastics. Larry Nasser wasn't even on their radar until gymnasts started coming forward. 
And here we are today. We're sentenced up to 175 years in prison. Give Tim a follow on Twitter at StarWatchTim. Well, we'll take a timeout. Uh, a couple of things to get to before we wrap up the show today. Uh, maybe a couple text messages as well. Big event coming up for Fighting Alana Athletes on Monday. I want to talk to you about that coming up. I'll let you know a special guest is going to be here on Monday back in town. Alana fans uh, might like who it is. We'll tell you who that is if you haven't heard it already. Coming up next here on DWS. Arizona. Illinois has roared back from 15 down to cut it to three. Inbound. Ingram steals it. Head has it in the left wing. Out top to Williams. Darren for the tie. He got it. He got it. 80-80. Darren Williams with the biggest three of his life. Now they have to play straight up defense. No fouls at this point. 34 seconds to go. 80-80. Illinois and Arizona. Brown all over Shakur. Arizona. Oh my! I can't believe what I've just seen. Illinois up one. Arizona. Adams. Dumper. No good. Illinois going to the final four. Illinois going to the final four. 90-89. Roger Powell pointing to the sky. Luther Head and D. Brown bang chest at midcourt. 13 seconds to go. And for the first time in Illinois history. They will advance to the championship game. We'll see you Monday night in St. Louis. Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. 48 degrees at 1052. Lauren Tate, Michael Kaiser with you. You might be wondering why we played that. Well, one of those guys in the highlights, Darren Williams, is going to be back in town for the Fighting Illini Athletic uh, Jock Jams uh, returns uh, on Monday. He's going to be in town this weekend. It's at Fullinger Auditorium. Uh, it's like the ninth annual event. It benefits uh, local charities, but uh, he's one of the celebrity judges. We tried to get him on this morning. He just wasn't available. He had to no, uh, watch his son I play basketball. Brian and I can get him on Monday morning. We'll know later. Yeah. But uh, it's just cool he's coming back to town for something like that. And Dylan Meyer yeah. like reached out to him. Yeah. On, on, on Twitter and sent him a message on Twitter and uh, Darren got back to him and he's like, yeah, I'll come because he's not playing in the NBA now and had uh, a very long NBA career, successful NBA career, ended in Cleveland last year. Unfortunately, they didn't win the championship when he was with them in the finals because uh, it's Golden State and Golden State usually wins with the exception of two years ago. But uh, but it's really cool that he's coming back and participating in a, an event like this. Yeah, he was uh, – How do you? who would you consider – Illinois' greatest basketball player, all things considered. Ever? Yeah. Boy, I, have I been long enough to even be qualified to answer that no, question? I'm, okay, um, in the last, you know. No. Um, since 89, maybe. It, it's a really tough decision. It really is. I mean, because Darren uh, and, and Harper and, and Nick Anderson all left after their junior years. Mm-hmm. All three of those would have been the greatest Illinois player in my mind had they stayed one more year. And Harper had a tremendous uh, NBA career in which he got better scoring-wise every year. And, of course, Nick Anderson was, I thought, the best player on that on that uh, 1989 team, although some people will point to battle. And, you know, you can argue about uh, Kendall Gill and you can argue about uh, the players on the 2005 team. I mean, I don't. I don't think that the D. Brown was the greatest player, uh, but he was. He came as a freshman. He was about as good as any. He and just never got a lot better. He was. He was the same player all four years almost. Darren would have had a 
some probably some records or close to it if he would have stayed come back for his fourth year and who knows where that team would have gone they made the second round without him uh because I, I think he could have been even better but he, he was the number three overall pick i think he made the right call there he made the right call but if, if you go back and look at him as a freshman he had all kinds of problems as a freshman he was just a i would say a very well he was a good freshman but he he didn't average many points. He couldn't make free throws. He just you know. But then as a sophomore, he got better. And as a junior, he was sensational. Yep. So you know, some guys leap, and other guys level off. Yep. And uh, again, so Darren Williams in town for Fighting Illini Jock Jams on Monday night at Bollinger Auditorium at seven thirty. Got to get some tickets to the event. You can get them now at the Athletics Ticket Office. Uh, at State Farm Center or online or at the door at the night of the show, Monday night at 7.30. Also, Lauren, a celebrity judge, is Hope Whitman, Josh Whitman's wife. Good. So uh, I wonder if Josh is going to be there, you know, trying to tell her who to vote for. We'll find out about that. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, So it's a good event on Monday night. Uh, again, proceeds to uh, from the event go to uh, local charities. Well, we'll talk a little bit of Illini basketball here. Let me read a couple text messages. Back in action on Tuesday night, they got the weekend off. Uh, text in on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line from John in Decatur. What do we have in football coaches from the Indianapolis area slash Indiana area? What about Paul Spicer, who coached under Lovey at Tampa Bay? And I think you're referencing a couple of position opens uh, here on the staff. And I'm not going to even get into the um, you know puzzle of Lovey Smith and figure out who he's even – on his list, I'm just gonna even. I'm just gonna well, we, wait till we hear who it is. And you never know when a, a coach might apply here or be interested here and be interviewed here, like Canada, and winds up being the offensive coordinator at Maryland. Maybe he took the Maryland job over the Illinois job. I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. He was definitely here. Yeah, he he was on, he was on he was on the list. Uh, Maryland was open, and and he might have applied. He might have uh, interviewed for both jobs and took the Maryland job. Uh, Matt Canada, of course, was at LSU uh, this past season, and they went their separate ways. 618 area code on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line. It is such a Herculean task to get Big Ten quality athletes to go to Illinois. Why is Illinois and the Big Ten to be fodder? It might be a little sarcasm there, I think. <laughs> uh, I mean, Illinois can get some Big Ten players. They just can't get them consistently. <laughs> well, and uh, I, I, can't get enough of them, I maybe I should contend, say. And I will always contend, if you can't, if you're not successful in your home state, you're going to have a hard time, mm-hmm. you know, and I know that if you're Notre Dame or Ohio State, they, but Ohio State is successful in their home state, and, and, and they also recruit nationally. A lot of, a lot of uh, top schools recruit nationally, but the, most of them that are successful are successful in their home state. Yeah, I mean, it's, and Ohio State, you're just, Ohio State's going to get who they want at home. Yeah. It's, it's, there's, it's Ohio State. Uh, Dan and Champagne text in uh, one word, Frank, and reference uh, one of the best players in school history. Frank Williams is pretty good, uh, mm-hmm. but it's just it, there's just so many names for us to sift through. Maybe it's a show we do a, a topic on a show we do another day. I don't day. think there's an answer, and I've looked at it. I don't know who the best player was. I, I, I just I, don't. I think you're one of the probably the most qualified person in town to answer that question. Well, that. I don't know about that. I, I just I I know that I am unsure. I know when Harper played, I thought he was the best I'd seen. And then as we went along, I thought Nick was the best, and then Darren was awfully, awfully good. Darren only averaged 12 points a game as a, as a junior. And, you know, as a – let me think, as, as a uh, freshman, let me, tell you, let me tell you his statistics as a freshman. Okay. He shot free throws. He made 49 out of 72. Is that him? No, 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 no that's not him. Uh, let me do, try that again. 
He made 28 out of 79 uh, attempts from the field. He made 24 of 45 free throws. That's, that's terrible. Yeah, that's not very And good. he averaged six points a game. Yeah. That is Darren Williams as a freshman. Mm-hmm. So don't make a judgment on freshmen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Like I, I just I don't even pay attention. And unless they're like five star one and done freshmen, I don't pay attention if they're really bad. And right now Mark Smith is really struggling. I, I'm not I'm not interested in whether he's gonna work out a conversation or whether he's gonna be a bust or not and whether it's gonna work out or not. I just don't know and no one knows. It it's we have to see how this plays out. And it's just way too early. We're talking he's 22 games into his career, and I'm just using an example. Yeah, Trent Frazier looks great right now, but not all freshmen are good right away. Not all freshmen adjust going from high school to major college basketball. And I think it just takes time. That's a great example right there. Malcolm Hill wasn't very good his freshman year either. Do you know who the leading scorer in 2005 was? Luther Hill. I was going to say Luther. You know who was second? D. Brown. Yep. You know who was third? Darren Williams. I was going to say James Augustine. But <laughs> well, no. Nope. James was he was fifth. Powell was ahead of him. Yeah. One final text message. Uh, considering the timing and magnitude of the violation of young athletes by Dr. Nasser, is it even more disturbing that a local U of I professor referencing Jay Rosenstein has been given a free pass on videoing in the public restroom? Our state's attorney needs to adopt a zero-tolerance policy. It does not matter if you're a doctor, professor. It is not okay. I wish I had more time to discuss that, but we're out of time today. Uh, Jay, of course, is on paid administrative leave. Thanks to our guests today, uh, Rob Rod Smith, Ryan Easterling, Jeff Rabjohns, and Tim Evans of the Indy Star. Thanks so much for your phone calls and your text messages as well. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks to Evan Kahn. For Lauren Tate, I'm Michael Kaiser.